How are you all doing today? This is the Jeff Salgado Show with my co-host, Mike Boy. What's up, man? Not much. It is Wednesday, April 22nd. It is a balmy 83 degrees out in Sacramento, California. I couldn't be happier. Today's show, we have Matt Harvey from the death metal band Exhumed. Sick. I can't be more happy. This guy has a long... He's got a long history of really cool music, and we get to talk to him today. How has your apocalypse quarantine been? It's been interesting. Um, most of what I've been doing is just kind of just working on all my different projects. Like, I mean, I've got two podcasts. I've got this one. I've got my wife's podcast. Uh, been working on the bitters stuff a lot recently. Like, we just dropped an EP last week so we dropped congratulations thank you uh you can check us out on spotify it's the mars attacks ep i'm proud of this one not just because i uh, one of the songs on there is my favorite song in the band to play but i actually was kind of like the lead on all the artwork for this one so it's it's not i'm not the best artist in the world i won't even try to say that but the fact i did it and my wife, who's a studio artist, really helped me out with it. She like I can't use Photoshop for shit, but she knows all that shit. So once I got done drawing it all out, she helped me tighten it up in Photoshop and get it ready for release. So shout out to my wife for doing that. Nina Boyd's art. Look it up on Facebook. She does a lot of cool shit. Maybe commission her for something. Um, how about you, man? What you been working on? Well, I've uh, submitted a the artwork to the label for the new psychosomatic record, the invisible prison, which will be out this summer. Um, we have a lyric video coming out, which will, when we release it, it will have the date of the release of the album. So that'll, that's finally off my plate. I have nothing to do with it. The, uh, we went back, you know, rounds about like what we wanted for the album cover and stuff like that. But this right. one will be on full color vinyl nice so i'm really yeah. excited about is that. it gonna be multiple color or are you like you gonna do like a red and blue and a green you're and gonna shit? have to wait and see oh i love it when you i love it when people say that shit for sure it's yeah. uh the cover's got uh the, the whole album has three different pieces that i did and they've already been out on my art page so if you look at the artwork of jeff salgado on instagram or facebook you can see the artwork for the new record and uh, we have it, it's on vinyl, we have it on CD as well, it's the Digipacks, which will be out uh, ready for the album. And they're gonna announce uh, when we can do pre-orders right. for everybody. And then um, other than that, I've just been drawing my ass off. I got a, I did the uh, the album cover for the Selenum, uh new album that just came out, this thrash metal band called Selenum from Sacramento. They're fucking sick. If you get a chance to listen to them on Bandcamp or Spotify or wherever you can find them, they are sick. Selenum from Sacramento, California. You can notice uh, my artwork is on the album cover. Check that band out. They're fucking excellent. I don't really dick around with bands that suck. <laughs> just, <laughs> just telling you right now, they are excellent. Great. Well, who else have kids. you done artwork for? I mean, well, I'm working on a piece right now, and it's uh, for a bigger band. I'm not going to say who. Ooh. And then I got another piece after that for a legendary band. Can you so, say who on that one? Nope. No, it's all surprises. Not yet. So I got a question. You do all your own, like all of the from start to finish with Psychosomatic is all your artwork, correct? Yes. And uh, that was actually not my choice. Really? Why? Because I, I, I network with a lot of artists. I right. really wanted a lot of different artwork in Psychosomatic. And Toby just kind of laid down the hammer and was like, nope. Nope. <laughs> 
<laughs> really? Like, yeah, back in the day, I remember it was right around the time of Unquenchable Thirst before that, around 2005. He's like, nah, dude, you got to do all your work. And I really didn't want to. It's not because I was lazy. I just really wanted to see what other people thought of the music and kind of go that route. But I just, you know, I was like, fuck it. Let's just do it. And I, it wasn't about a cost thing. I think Toby just was like, this is your band. Do the artwork for it. And it just became a thing. And if you look at the history of the band, of the albums, like each artwork you could tell was just kind of simple. And then now it's getting crazier as it goes. And it's kind of developing into its own thing. And you have the new, like, uh, my favorite piece of yours, too, actually, out of everything that I've seen of yours, is you have the new one. And it's the chick pulling it. It looks like she's pulling up a shirt, but it turns out to be her skin and shows her innards. That's my favorite piece of yours. Thanks. And I like it because it makes you think. Like, like it's a subconscious, like, reaction that you have to it because there's so much in that piece that's being fucking said with just, like, the whole lifting of the skin like it's a shirt or something like that. And for me, that was, like, when I saw that one, that hit me real quick, like. Well, every, so. every piece of artwork for Psychosomatic always has multiple meanings in it. Hmm. If you look at every piece, you can find something. I put in little subliminal things. I put in a lot of thought into the artwork to make it to where it's not just one thing. Sometimes they relate to different lyrics or songs in the record, or right. sometimes it'll just be a general message. Like, when we did Another Disease, the original album cover concept was the silhouette with the demons around it, with all the laughing faces. Those are like demons, right? And the guy that was doing the layout, Nick Backey, he's in a band called Jack Ketch. He was like, no, I think you should do this one. And it's the one with the, uh, it's got the little kid who's being. He's got the syringe stuck in it. Right, from the that. doctor, yeah. the military, and the priest. And and he's like, this one's. The, I was like, kind of like, you know, that artwork is just not that great. It was more of just the message I was putting out there. And he goes, that's exactly what needs to be on the cover. And I was like, oh, okay. So we did it, and I'm glad we did it because it actually turned out yeah. to be better. Than, it was a better concept for the album cover. So this new one, um, it's called The the uh, the Invisible Prison, and the artwork is a human brain with something around it. And the thing around it is could be you could interpret it in any way you want, but it's definitely something that's controlling it. Right. That's so cool. you know, talk about a prison, you know, the worst prison you can be in is the one in your mind. Yeah. So uh that's just kind of the concept around the whole album and then so forth. But other than that, drawing is uh for me, I love it, but it's a matter of t having time to do it. So <laughs> I've learned this thing. Uh, my drummer helped me out with it. He gave me the idea of just your days have a certain amount of hours and they all have to be allotted for. You have to, you know, and, and I might not get done with something right away, but it'll be done on time by using this method of every minute is accounted for. So you got, you got, a, you got this hour, you got to, you know, if you want to go to the gym, go to the gym, go to the gym, do it. And no excuses. Then you got food, you got, um, work to do you got emails you got stuff like this your whole day has a lot of time if you don't waste it and you just get on a routine where you do this constantly it and including downtime right you got to have yeah. including you have like, to schedule your break man right, exactly otherwise you're just burnt right exactly yeah. i have an hour to kick back and decompress after work or something like that or my day job or whatever you know and and it's really that's when all of a sudden everything's starting to happen now yeah you know? and i i'm a late bloomer you know I, I was never taught anything everything i've ever done has been diy everything i've ever done is uh, i've just kind of bumped my head on it you know and uh I've had a really good support group to push me in the right direction. I'm just not there yet. I'm not to where I want to be, but you know, that's, that's life. You know, you never stop learning. You just keep going. And so we're going to keep going 
And we're going to get to our guest, Matt Harvey from the band Exhumed. He's been in um, a lot of multiple bands that are just badass. I mean, uh, Scarecrow, Decapitator, um, Gruesome. So to our interview, to our guest, Matt Harvey. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm good. How are you, man? Awesome. Good to have you on the show. Really excited. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you having me. That's very cool. Thank a- you. Absolutely. Um, you guys busy today? What are you doing today? Everybody, uh, I'm currently not employed because of the super fun global pandemic, but somehow I still find myself being extremely busy. Uh, my wife and I had some errands to run, and then I uh, did a couple of hours of volunteer work, and now I'm out walking my dog after picking up a bunch of beer because it is a beautiful blue sky, uh, 80 degree day here on on the central coast of California. So now I'm ready to just shoot the shit and then, uh, sit back and relax. Awesome. Yeah. It's gorgeous outside. So, um, we want to go down your history and, uh, you know, obviously you're a staple of the Bay area death metal scene, which is, uh, I couldn't be more happy to have you on. So we'll start with, uh, how did the band, uh, exhumed start? Um, well, I mean, you know, it was one of those things where I think this was like summer between like sophomore and junior year in high school, you know, and there was like a group of us just like, you know, just kids, really children, really. And, um, you know, it was like one of us, I played guitar and we had a friend named Rocky that played guitar and then a friend named Peter that played bass, which was like between... Pioneer High School and and, uh, Willow Glen High School in San Jose. And um, Cole, our original drummer, he was just in the circle of friends and he didn't play an instrument, so it just sort of decided, well, you're going to be the drummer. And he's like, well, I don't know anything about drums, but okay. And um, I think by the time, you know, I think like I was a junior in high school when when we started playing shows, this was like uh, late 91. And by then we kind of like weeded through a couple of those guys and, and had uh, like a five piece lineup where I was the guitar player and backing vocals. And then things kind of just kept shifting, you know, for, for a couple of years with myself and Cole kind of being like the mainstays. And eventually uh, Ross came into the picture a few years later. And then, you know, get a record a few years after that and so on so and your first release was uh, gore metal right in 1998 or did you have anything before that well we did the split cd with hemdale uh they ended in the gore record and that was 96 okay and but i mean it's not really like a full-length album it's a split album so i don't know if it i'm not sure how much it counts you know it's like i usually just kind of started at Gore Metal, you know, but we did like a bunch of demos and a bunch of split seven inches and then that split CD was kind of the, the biggest thing that we did before the first record, you know. Yeah, I remember when Gore Metal came out and saw it in the record store and I was like, holy shit, because <laughs> back then, you know, that was that was like a little uncharted back then and it was super gory. Excellent work. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of uh, like definitely against the, the trend of what Ever was going on in metal in the late 90s was, you know, it was very, very rude and, and 
unsophisticated, you know, this was like the time when it was like, Jimmy Borger was super big and they wore like cop hats and shit like that. Agarcaca <laughs> was like coming out and wearing suits and it was like the sophisticated black metal, corporate black metal era. And so, yeah, it was definitely a big fuck off to all of that stuff. For sure. And then, um, so you guys, you guys toured for that? Um, we did. We toured in 99. The record came out like around Halloween. Like most of our records, we asked for, it's like, we're going to do a Halloween thing. It's like, gee, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> but the record came out in, in late 98, and then kind of by summer 99, Relapse was doing a label tour that we got involved with. And um, yeah, that was, well, that wasn't our first, first tour. We went to, to Europe in 97 uh, for the split record, but that was only like a 10 day tour. And that was like a whole, it was a very rude awakening because I don't think we ever played a show outside of California. And we landed in Germany in like December for, for 10 days. And the guy that was supposed to be driving us couldn't drive us for some reason. And so Ross ended up driving the van and it was a, it was a real, it, it was a tough first tour for like three dudes that were really inexperienced but uh 99 was like a u.s tour like a full month long kind of thing that was gotcha that was a little bit smoother (laughs) i guess did ross have to drive in europe yeah ross drove in europe and um was that scary kind of a weird (laughs) it it was a a weird time because they're like you know your drivers can't do it this and that and Ross sort of just stepped up. We've, we've talked about this and laughed about it now, but we were all really pissed at the time because Ross just stepped up and was like, well, I'll do it. And I was like, no, absolutely not. You, you will not do it. This is not what we were, you know, this is not what they said was going to happen. We don't know where the fuck we're going. We can't read the road signs. Like, this is not going to work. Wow. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And it was just, it, it was kind of a time like we, I think we had, we were in the process of, negotiating with relapse like and you know Cole and I kind of wanted to do different things for the band that Ross wanted to do and there was a lot of tension and it, it wasn't it was super fun but also there was an undercurrent of of definitely like a lot of band attention that was growing and that's why by the time we did the US tour in 99 Ross was no longer in the band so obviously he's back now and we're all Older and more mature, and much happier. So it's good. Yeah, you guys have had a lot of lineup changes, right? Yeah, we definitely have. Uh, I mean, it's it's like we're at least as bad as like Deep Purple for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a compliment. <laughs> but, so, uh, what did you guys uh, decide to do? Uh, write Slaughter Cult. Was that during the touring? Um, I, I think it was like right after that 99 tour, you know, because we were sort of getting a feel for, for really playing out a lot and playing the material from the first record. And, and we kind of felt like we were seeing what was working and what was not working. And that was sort of the, you know, our big one tour experience, but it was really eye opening to us. And I think we sort of made the decision to really streamline the next record even further because I mean, you know, when again, when Ross and I talk about the first album now, he describes it as dumbed down, and I'm like, well, I would describe it as streamlined. Right. <laughs> and then the, the second album is either, 
even dumber or more streamlined, depending on which take you uh, subscribe to. But it was definitely all about, you know, what was working live and, and trying to translate that into a, into a record because I don't think we'd really done a recording yet that we were happy with, you know? And you guys, uh, did you, in, um, you guys obviously toured for Slaughter Cole and then uh, Anatomy is, is Destiny. How did that go? Well, it was kind of like, I, th- I think with Slaughter Cole because we worked with Mieszka uh, from Awesome. That's right. And it was the first time that we worked with a producer or an engineer that not only like knew what they were doing and knew what we wanted to do, but knew us well enough to kind of guide us a little bit and you know be like no that's a stupid idea and here's why or try this it might work and it did um so there was a big confidence boost i think within the band uh, after that record and our old bass player who's later our guitar player bud burke he's um he's an incredible musician the guy's just fantastic player like one of the best players i've ever jammed with and he was just playing bass for us. He, everyone knew him as the guy that threw up, you know? But he, he was like, he was studying music at UC Santa Barbara, and we would go on tour for Slaughter Cult, and I just started picking Bud's brain, and I was like, what are scales? What are modes? What is this? What are, how do you build harmonies? How do you build chords? What do these numbers mean? And sort of just, you know, sitting around and, and, and listening to him and, and trying to learn from him, it was uh, that was kind of what enabled the, the the leap forward, I think, in musicianship that we had with anatomy, because with gore metal and slaughter cold, it was just about honing this sort of like pop rock formula of death metal. You know, it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, yeah. chorus, and kind of thing. And so once we had that down, then I was like, huh, maybe I should actually like understand. The, the guitar a little bit better and just music theory in general maybe I should know more than three scales kind of thing right. and um, so Bud was a big help with that and that's why anatomy I think is so much it's really trying a lot harder because I think we tried really hard with gore metal and we all felt like we failed so we scaled it back on the second record and then I was like okay I'm ready to get hurt again let's try, <laughs> let's try really hard again on the third record and um in some instances, I think it works great, and in other songs, I'm like, well, I see what you're going for, but I don't know, you know. For sure. Then you guys had the uh, the Ode to Metallica with your Garbage Days re-regurgitated. Great title for a cover record. <laughs> that is so awesome. Well, you know, you're not going to get better than Garage Days re-regurgitated. So, no. And you got some. You, know. you got you guys covered some <laughs> sick bands that have never been covered before. Sam Hain, dude, I was like, saw that. I was like, yes. And uh, obviously, you know, No Quarter is pretty cool. And then... Uh, that was the cover that I liked the best, personally, but hey, I don't know. But I really <laughs> liked... Really I, I love the fact that you guys did an Epidemic cover. That's sick as fuck. Because <laughs> yeah. local, you know, Bay Area <laughs> legends, man, that never really got their day, but they were sick back in the day. That's awesome. Oh, man, that, that 89 demo is, is just one of my absolute favorites. It's like... Somewhere between like Darkness Descends and the Ultraviolence, you know, mm-hmm. like it has that loose kind of like party vibe that the Ultraviolence has, but it's meaner and nastier. And then Mark Bodine has a just a filthy, disgusting bass tone. It's, it's such a good demo. That uh, Extremities was a great demo too. I like both the records, but 
that was the one that just really captured my imagination, you know, back when I was 14 or whatever. Absolutely. And you did Siege, which I really love, like some early grindcore, <laughs> early grindcore that nobody's heard of unless you're a hardcore old guy. That was the best. Right, that right. was back in the day. They were but so. Think, you know, even even then, uh, I, I was really tired of hearing people say, "Oh, you guys like Carcass." Ugh. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. Carcass is certainly one of our influences, and I am a, a big Carcass fan, and that's well and good. But Exhumed like never set out to be a copy band or anything like that. Right. And, you know, so Garbage Days is kind of like, hey, look, like, you know, we listen to all kinds of music, whether it's Dublin or The Cure or Amoebix or Siege or what have you, you know? We're not just like, you're yeah, a corker's Right. So. <laughs> now, you guys, now, you started doing some other projects after that, right? Well, I was doing, um, like, the Decapitator thing Cole and I started doing that like right around the time I guess it would have been 97 we started working on that and we did a record in 99 and it's very sort of retro thrash before retro thrash was you know very much thing yep <laughs> and then after Cole left exhumed after um, Anatomy then we had a little bit more time and we came back around to it and started playing shows again and we did another record, I think, in 2006, 2007. Yep, I remember that. I remember, when, fuzzy. I remember when it came out, it was awesome. I was like, oh, my God, this is fucking amazing. I was so happy when that came out. Oh, thanks. So the, the second one, you know, uh, I mean, I always have a different take on it. I, I thought the first one was pretty good. The second one, I was not really happy with the way the mix came out. And, like, I would have made some different decisions, but it just was out of my hands. And it is what it is. Um, but I think I was already kind of even losing interest in Decapitator a little bit by that point, you know, because I just let Cole, like, handle the mix. I was like, whatever, the drummer wants to do it, just let him do it. And at that time, I was kind of focused on, like, getting Scarecrow together, and that was the thing that was dealing with Will and Damien and Death Angel for a couple of years, and so, you know, I, I always try to stay busy. Now, did you, did you start Scarecrow? Was that your band? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I brought it. I brought the the first couple of songs to Will, and um, you know, I obviously I'd known Will for a long time. I remember seeing Will here at DC, you know, back in 1990 and stuff. And um, I saw him and Damien playing with Hail Satan, uh, the Merciful Fate cover band. Right. And I was like, dude, this dude can fucking play bass. Holy shit! Yeah, he's a beast. And it was kind of uh, right into area I was looking for, you know, like, it's not really, it's not really a thrash band, but it's kind of a thrash, you know, it's like, I don't know where else you'd put it, but it's, you know, it's very much in the Metallica, Megadeth, Merciful Fate, Motorhead, M range somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, re I remember you had the, uh, you had the Force Horsemen with the mechanics mixed together, which I thought was badass, <laughs> dude, that was so sick. Yeah, I couldn't get better. Yeah, I was like, know, dude, that is great. I wouldn't even have thought of that. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I think, you know, it was, I thought the band was really good, and I thought, you know, it's the right climate, and I, we were doing really well locally. Like, we were doing, you know, really good shows just on our own and stuff, and, you know, we kind of looked around at different labels, and we had a little bit of interest in the earache, but I'd already heard so many horror stories about earache that I was like, 
that's not that's not the way to go. And then after a couple of years and nothing really happened, but then it kind of fizzled, I sort of lost focus. And anyway, I ended up leaving the band and then they they had a Marcus and for Hatchet came in and they did something else and I was sort of relieved because it sucked. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, they need me, but I was also sad because it sucked and I was like, Oh, they're my friends I was I was kind of bummed. I was like, oh man, Ted's in this now, and I was like, wow, let's check it out. And I was kind of like, oh man, it's not the same. Did you guys ever do any recording for Scarecrow at all, or nah? We did one split with uh, my buddy's band, Landmine Marathon, from Arizona. Yeah, I know that. A completely odd pairing because they're so like a grindcore, crusty, yeah, yeah. crusty death metal, bolt throwery grindcore thing. I were obviously, you know, what I was describing before. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like, I feel like that's the band that got away, you know? Like, when I look back on playing metal for so long, I'm like, that's the band I thought was really good, and, like, everybody was, like, at the top of their game, and, like, we had good songs, people liked us, it just never coalesced for whatever reason. Right, I gotta get a hold of You got any copies of that? Because I gotta get a hold of that one. Um, I... Don't have any physical, but I know it's on Bandcamp. I put okay. it on there a couple of years ago. Oh hell yeah! Because every that time out. Will and I hang out, we're like, we should do something, and then and I'm like, well, how's your May look? And he's like, oh, I'm in Europe with Death Angel, and he's like, oh, it's September. I'm like, oh, I'm doing in the U.S. with exams, and nothing ever happens. Man, <laughs> man, didn't he have a close call? I'm really glad he pulled through that coronavirus stuff, man. Oof. Crazy. Dude, I was scared, man. You know, he was he was in a coma for like almost two weeks. And, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty scary. I just, I told my wife, I was like, you know, Will dies, like, whatever happens, like, that day, I'm just going to be fucking drinking all day, and, like, don't talk to me, like, just don't. Let me be miserable. I listen to music for, like, an entire day, and then we can talk about it afterwards. For sure. But he pulled it. The guy is, you know, anybody that knows him, he's kind of irreplaceable as a human being. Absolutely. Such a good guy. So nice. <laughs> he is. Best storyteller. Like, I guarantee you, if you asked him about Scarecrow, like, you'd be, like, in stitches, like, laughing. Me, I'm like, yeah, it was a band. I thought the band was pretty good. We did some stuff. <laughs> and then, and then Will, Will will tell you the same things, but, like, you know, just make it super fun and entertaining. Yeah, I definitely got Will on my uh, radar to get him on the show for sure. So, uh, oh, yeah, once he's on the band, you need him. Yeah, absolutely. And so you guys, um, you took a little break, and when did you start to do Exhumed back up again? Um, we started sort of talking about it. Uh, I, was, I lived on Maui for, like, almost two years. So we started talking about it while, while I was still out there with um, the guys that kind of came back for All oh, That's So Glory. And um, it's just sort of... You know, we were sort of like kicking around riffs and kicking around ideas for, for a little while. And um, we already had interest from like MDF, like before we'd even, you know, written a song or had a rehearsal or anything. And uh, that was encouraging. And uh, I think it was like 2009, 10, I guess 2010, I moved back to California. And um, we started working on the record. and. Um, <laughs> it's just sort of like, you know, we, we, we just were kind of like, well, we'll do this record and we'll see what happens. And I was, 
And then we got some festival dates, and then I was like, okay, cool. Then you guys are out like, doing direct support for Campbell Corp, and then you guys are doing this. And I was like, wow, okay, holy shit. I guess like we're a full-on band again, like really working. And it kind of hasn't stopped the last like, 10 years. Now. Right, just took off for sure. <laughs> Yeah, until this year, obviously. <laughs> oh man, such a such a pause, right? It's like I I equate this what's going on now is to like the Avengers Endgame when they had the blip, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually really good. Right. I heard anybody say that, but I like that for sure. So, uh, <laughs> you guys did a uh, necrocracy after that, right? Necrocracy, necrocracy. Yeah, necrocracy. I love it's, that. It's one of those. It's one of those sort of uh, puns that works really well, like, linguistically, but phonetically it's not great. Kind of sounds like you have that. <laughs> yeah, I just fumbled it. Peanut butter. <laughs> I just fumbled it. The Crocker <laughs> yeah, still a great record, Before though. Before we started the tour, I said it, like, 15, 20 times, because I want to be on stage, like, can you guys check out our new album? <laughs> 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 yeah, it's like... Totally. <laughs> That's not proper fun etiquette right there. But it was definitely more slower, right? It was a little slower approach. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, with All Guts, like, as much as people like it and people seem really, you know, happy to see us come back and everything, um, you, we kept building set lists and I was like, well, we need that part in the middle where we play the slow song. And it's like, well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> so um, we should probably write some slower songs. And, you know, it was a way to sort of, you know, it's kind of tough, like, playing a style of music that is so kind of stylistically narrow for a really long time, you know? It's, like, trying to find ways to to make, you know, to make it new and different every time, but yet not sound like a different band, you know? Um, and that was kind of, like, generally each album, I sort of have, like, an idea in mind, like, just a very loose concept and the, and the concept for that one was was just more groove you know I wanted something that was <clears throat> more mid-tempo and allowed us a little space to stretch out and do some stuff that was more melodic and, and not just blaze through you know 15 songs in 25 minutes kind of thing so you guys you guys had went on a run because you had like basically you, you pumped out an album every touring cycle right every two years you had uh Gore metal, necrospective, uh, and then you have death revenge and horror, and it's all like 2015, 2017, 2019. It's all like perfect. <laughs> like that's awesome. You guys are productive. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of it's never been a case of lack of material. Even back in the early days, I mean, we always had tons of riffs and tons of ideas. It just was a case of sort of not having the, the professionalism or the planning kind of aspect down. The like make it efficient and then now sort of you know coming back to it I'm, I'm 24 now so I guess you know we did the All Guts came out in what, 2011 so I was like 35 and um, you know it just it, it's a whole different mindset now you know with, with the lineup and everything and just the fact that now everyone in the band is and has been even you know the, throughout the other changes that we've had that they're, they're musicians first and foremost are not trying to like go to college in their spare time or like pursue some other career this and that it's like everybody's here to you know to be a, a full-time rocker or they're not here and so when everybody's focused on the same goal like hey we want to go out into tour as much as we can we want to go out of work and we want this to be our job it makes it a lot easier to sort of 
continue to be productive. And, um, you know, sort of having, having worked at a couple of record labels and, and various things, I just had a different perspective on it coming back. And it was something that I, I don't know if I could have reconciled with the, the, the first incarnation of the band because it was still me and Cole's high school band, you know? <laughs> and we were, you know, very unprofessional in a lot of ways and we just didn't really think long-term or think in terms of, you know, sustaining ourselves beyond the next tour, the next show, the next thing. And, you know, now having a lineup where everyone has the same goal, it makes it a lot easier to kind of continually be productive and continually keep the band out there. Because, I mean, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to play. We want to go out and fucking tour and play shows and make records. And we've got shit to, to work with. So why not? You know, we don't suffer from writer's block or whatever. Yeah, the one one thing that really stands out to me personally was the uh, the exhumed Iron Reagan split. That thing was badass. The 2014 <laughs> Tank Crimes. Yeah, I, that was really cool. You know, it's um, you've been friends with the with the race guys for a long time. I mean, even before exhumed kind of went on hiatus. Like I met Tony and Ryan and, and hang out with them, and I know Dave Whitty for uh, ever. I mean, you know, twenty five years, and it's been. <laughs> a day um, but so we were in that circle of friends and then you know Tony and Phil had this new band and we all knew Scotty and we liked his label and you know we knew most of the bands on his label it was just it was a really cool thing to, to be able to do and also you know at the time we were doing Necrocracy which is a lot slower the melodic and it was cool to just let rip some you know some punk rock songs and some faster gnarly shit you know and that kind of Honestly, kind of planted the seed for the for the last record a little bit. You know, it's just back to the basics, two minute grindcore songs. You know, when did uh when did Ross Sewage come back? Um, Ross came back uh, kind of when we were working on Death Revenge. Okay, so I guess that would have been 2017, 16, 17. I'm not. I'm it's all kind of blurring together to be honest. <laughs> um, Right. Yeah, we, we worked with him on the, the re-recording of Gore Metal, and um, I think he was a little hesitant about it, um, but I was just like, do whatever you want, like, go ahead, and so he's like, okay, and he's like, well, I'll, I'll record all this stuff, and we'll see if they actually use it, and we ended up using everything that he gave us, and then we had some, some gigs with Napalm and uh, Voivod, and we just asked him to come out and, you know, play play some shows with us on the West Coast and it went well and he and I kind of had a you know probably 15 year overdue talk about like hey this is why we, we fired you from the band and these aspects of it I think are legit and these aspects were just me being a dick because I was you know 25 right and he was like well hey this is sort of my reaction and you know I was also a dick and like cool and so then our bass player at the time, Matt Sime, ended up quitting, and I, I just thought, why not? I mean, why not have Ross back? I mean, in my, you know, that was sort of, even when we started with All Guts, I thought, in a perfect world, like, he's the guy, you know, because his voice is so distinctive, and, you know, we'd be playing on that Napalm Voivod tour, and I would hear his voice coming through the monitor, and I was like, ooh, it sounds like he's in. like, sick. Right. <laughs> so, um, to me, it was, 
I, I was really hesitant because I didn't think that he would go for it, but we kind of like rebuilt a friendship first. Um, and, you know, because like a lot of, a lot of people, I think Ross and I had so much in common as young dudes that we drove each other insane. You know, sure. <laughs> like the, the only person you hate more than someone you have nothing in common with is someone you have everything in common with. And um, now, like I said, we're a lot older and it's much, it's a much nicer dynamic, you know? That's awesome. And so yeah. I, I, yeah, I was very happy to get him back. It's always good to, like, reconcile old, like, differences. And, I mean, if you've been in a band a long time, you'll go through it, and it's always awesome. It, it makes your friendship twice as better as it used to be. And, uh, Absolutely. I, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the Naked Screaming and Covered in Blood video you guys put out a couple a little while ago, <laughs> like six months ago or whatever. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we... We, we basically found Dustin, the director, and he's, you know, he's a schlockmeister, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. <laughs> yeah, he turns out, like, low-budget movies, like, you oh. know, like four or five of them a, a year. And he's, like, very, he's, he loves what he does, and he's super passionate about it, he's super into it, but at the same time, he's very workmanlike about it. And... You know, we went down there and we worked for two days. We did one day during the concept footage and then went out to pizza with everybody. And then the next day we were in a room with the green screen, some of the other footage. And a week later, it was like, cool, we got a video. And it was just as, you know, we wanted something that was cheesy and, and low budget and fun. Like, you know, one of those movies are, you know, <laughs> let's be real. Nobody is watching these, these horror movies for like, oh, this has great production value, you know? I mean, if you want that, there are horror movies that have that, but those are not the kind of movies we're referencing, you know? Right. You know, I was just, I was just having this conversation about low budget, the word low budget. Back in the day, you know, we used to call everything budget like it was bad, and now we call it budget right. like it's great because <laughs> we're all broke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, thing, the thing is that you know, like DIY is, there's, there's, a, there's a romance to it, you know? Like right. I used to think when, when I was a kid, before I'd sort of, you know, had any real world experience in the music industry, the DIY was like, some guy in a suit was gonna tell you, don't write these kind of riffs because they don't sell. And you're like, fuck you, man, nah. Right. But that's not really what it's about at all. DIY is just about sort of taking responsibility for the end product including the production, including the, all the aspects that normally used to be handled by guys in suits. And it's the same in filmmaking, you know, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it unless you really love what you're doing. So even if the production value isn't there, there's a, a sincerity, I think that really resonates with the audience. Even if the acting's bad or the plot is sort of silly or whatever, the people can sense the, you know, the purity of intention. And uh, I think that's that's pretty powerful. That's why, you know, people love Welcome to Hell or In the Sign of Evil or Recapitrefaction. Nobody's sitting there being like, oh, the guitar playing is so great. It's just like, no, the sincerity <laughs> is what you hear, you know? Yeah. And that's what... And I think there's a lot of commonality between, you know, filmmaking and and music in that way, you know? Well, yeah, it's like you're you're literally listening to a horror movie. It's awesome. 
the super right. super yeah it's, it's evil it's, it's splatter it's awesome it's great um did you guys were you guys victim to any canceled tours when this came up this uh coronavirus or whatever uh yeah i mean i i started this year and my wife was like jesus dude i was like you're kind of taking a piss here my wife's english i'm not gonna do the accent but anyway she's like you're kind of taking the piss like you go to europe with gruesome through you know april like March, April, that we had a vacation plan. I was like, yeah, but honey, we have a vacation. We're going to Turkey. And then uh, next month, uh, May, I was supposed to be in Japan and Australia with Exhumed. And then we were working on an Exhumed gruesome tour for June and July. Like, it was, like, booked, except for two shows. It was completely booked. And then Exhumed was going to Europe for festival season in August. So, yeah, I had, like, six months of <laughs> work just sort of yanked out from under me and it was like you know again going back to the DIY thing I mean it was a lot of planning involved and a lot of uh, you know we print our own shirts or we print a lot of our own shirts I should say and we had to you know we had to apply for visas for various countries and it was just it was a lot of work I'd spent you know a couple hundred hours already like just getting ready for all this and i was like well i guess none of it's happening great you know what that's that's what i forgot to ask you is how many albums do you have with gruesome because i love that band uh, we have three thus far yeah well, that... we have two in a mini album but uh i mean to me dimensions of horror it's like i don't know i can't remember how many songs it is but i mean it's like 30 minutes long it's you guys like basically you guys played album. you guys played valken right as gruesome yeah, we. I think, I think it was last year, the uniform, I can't remember. I think it was last year. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was fun. That's, so that's brutal. You were going to do Exhumed and Gruesome. Is that like you were just going to do double duty? That's brutal. Or were you going to like mix was, it up? yeah. Wow, that's gnarly. Every night. Well, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a super long tour. It was only like three and a half weeks or something. Okay. And, um, you know, the way we had planned it, we were actually going to get a bus instead of, you know, suffering in the van. Nice. So I was like, well, you know, the, the last exam the U.S. tour did very well because it was us and Gate Creeper, who's obviously like a very well-hyped band at the moment. And, you know, we were talking about it like, well, we need somebody in a similar position that's a newer band that gets a lot of positive press and people are still keen to see because they haven't seen them 500 times. You know, but somebody that makes sense with us stylistically, and I was like, uh, "Sounds like my other band." <laughs> That's gonna be a lot easier than like talking somebody else into, you know, like a co-billing slot because you know, Zoom's in sort of a weird position. Not, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty well established, but we're obviously not Lord Angel or Obituary or Cannibal Corpse. You know, so a lot of bands that we would go on tour with. You know, they're, they're kind of on a similar footing to us. And, you know, bands might feel like, well, what, why, why are we going to go out and, and support Exhumed and we could go out and try and support one of the, you know, Campbell Clubs, blah, blah, blah. And so we, <clears throat> so it's just, it's kind of difficult to make like a super stacked tour because, you know, people might want to hold out for like a better offer or whatever. But it still makes sense, you know, it was still a very fair building with us and Gate Creepers. So it was just kind of a, it's, it's a weird place to be in. And I just thought the easiest way to do it was just to keep it in the family and, 
bring gruesome on board and it's less people and everybody knows each other and yada 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 so you still charge uh, full uh, full price for both bands right <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah that's awesome <laughs> fuck yeah yeah i mean that's why we have a we have a split album coming out in june or it's just a split 10 inch i should say um coming out in, in june with both bands and it was supposed to be around the tour and so on and so forth but anyway we don't know when we're gonna be able to reschedule the tour so we figured we should just release the album anyway because it's already <clears throat> it's already in the can so why not you know? yeah that's kind of what everybody's doing right now it's so fucked you can't get anything booked right now and you don't even know if these venues are going to be open you know like, i've just seen I mean, venues I mean, drop left and right yeah that's very scary because i mean you know this whole industry whatever you want to call it scene whatever right you know it exists uh, financially in a very sort of precarious realm and i'm not trying to be like well is me or whatever nobody nobody asked me to play death metal and try to make a living out of it everybody told me to go to college and shit so right. i'm not you know trying to pay myself as some victim or whatever but you know it is a very precarious kind of thing because there's not a lot of profit in running a club there's not a lot of profit in running a bar there's not a lot of profit in being a booking agent or being in a band or at any level so any kind of financial disruption is really potentially lethal, you know, especially in this country because, you know, there's just not a lot of social safety net. But even in Europe, where there is a lot of social safety net, it's very precarious there. Right. So, and, you know, we're kind of, as much as people are already freaking out about everything, we're still, you know, I don't know if we're in the early stages of all this, but... We're certainly not too deep into the middle, you know. This could be. Well, I'm hoping it's, we don't even know. We just don't know. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be over soon, and we can just get back to work. I mean, obviously, I mean, I think that's what everybody's kind of hoping for, but we will see. You know, we'll see soon enough. Uh, do you guys? Uh, you already have an album in the can. When do you want to drop that? Well, that's that is coming out on on June fifth. The June Gerson split. Okay, it's a split. Um, now. Yeah, that that is. That's been announced. It's coming out. We just figured it's like, well, we don't know when we can reschedule the tour for, and yeah, everyone's cooped up in the house, so they probably want to listen to some new music. And right, why not just throw it out there? Have you guys thought about doing the uh, the home cams that everybody else is doing, and just kind of splitting like four videos and putting them, all, edit them into one with a song on it? That's what everybody's doing yeah, right now. We've been talking about it, and it, it's really weird because. I'm so not into that, like, right. as in, in normal life, like, I just, I feel like in the time it would take me to make a playthrough video for a song, I could have already written something else, you know, yep. <laughs> and it's like, that's a better use of my time. Absolutely. Um, so we're kind of facing the reality now that, you know, uh, touring being our, our primary revenue stream, not to, to make it sound like it's all about money, but... Yeah, we want to live. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we're going to have to adjust that because this year, you know, we, we, we have to really look at writing off this whole year. We're hoping to get something going small scale before the end of the year, but at this point, you know, even looking at November, is, it's real 50 50. You know, it might happen and very possibly might not. So we are going to start, uh, we, just, we just got an official Zoom to Ann Gruesome YouTube channel. Um, we're working on like a uh, sort of like a concert movie. Like we had a 
a multi-angle, like multi-camera show from the Metro um, a few years back that we just kind of been sitting on. So now is the time to to put that out on YouTube. We're just doing some final edits, titles, and stuff to make it, you know, to, to make it something worth watching. You know, it's like YouTube is so sophisticated now to try to like jump in. It's, it's not like you can just upload like camcorder footage anymore. Like that was, you know, that was like 15 years ago. So we want to, you know, we want it to be something that is worth people's time. I don't want to just, you know, create a bunch of content that sucks. Uh, that's sort of the, uh, <clears throat> the realm that we find ourselves wading into reluctantly, but it's, it's necessary, you know? Hell yeah, that's awesome. So we're going to wrap this up. Uh, any last words for the audience and people listening? Um, I would just say, you know, if you listen to Dan or supported whatever products I've been involved in, like, I really appreciate it, man. Like, it's, uh, it means a lot, you know, I know how much the shit that I listen to means to me, and, you know, if somebody else feels that way about them, I've done, that's pretty fucking ginormous. Um, so thanks, and, and thank you for having me on, and, you know, uh, ultimately, everybody's kind of stuck in a shitty situation right now. Uh, it's less than ideal, but, you know, heavy metal survived for 50 years so far, and I think uh, it's going to take a lot more than COVID-19 to stop it, so yeah. you know, we'll see on the other side. Well, you know, I, I always see I always see a lot of your uh, your posts where you, you show, like, a lot of rare uh, collectors that, you know, CDs and tapes and stuff you have, and every time you do that, I always look and see if I have it. I'm like, oh, I got that one. I don't have that one. I got that one. <laughs> Pretty awesome, dude. I love I love collectors, man. That's that's the shit. Especially back well, in the day. I was a comic book guy before I got into music, so I already had that mentality. Right. Like my idea, my idea of fun is like, ooh, I've got an hour of nothing to do. I'm gonna alphabetize some records. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's so fun to me. Very cool. Very awesome. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Matt Harvey. I appreciate it. Cheers, Matt. Thank Hell you yeah. very much, man. Okay, everybody, Matt Harvey. Thank you. Man, that was awesome to have a great interview from a great musician. I, I'm a huge death metal fan. And I, I think Exhumed is kind of like on the fringe of like, you know, they have that thrash element to a degree. You know, they're not just constant blast beats. Yeah. And it's it's really cool. So um, we're going to move on and uh, we're going to do a little bit of Q&A where I'm going to have Mike read some of the questions you guys asked me and I will answer them on the air. So... Here you go, Mike. All right. First question from Cindy Matt Chaco. Do you believe in aliens and why? I think that's Cindy and Matt Chaco. That's a joint Facebook account. Busted. Oh. <laughs> do I believe in aliens? Um, well, you know, I, I do believe in uh, undocumented immigrants. Yes, it happens. And it's uh, it's some consider it a problem. Some consider it a blessing, depending on what what side of the, uh, the fence you come on. But... Um, as far as, uh, yeah, that's that's what I think about when I hear the word aliens. Anyways, well, what's the next one? <laughs> what about extraterrestrials? No, I'm just kidding. Extraterrestrials? Yeah, I think there's there could be life out there. I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous question for a scumbag musician who doesn't know anything. <laughs> Obviously, your opinion matters on extraterrestrials. <laughs> right. Anyways, next question. Next. Next question is from Damon Besankin. Is Jeff Salgado a douche, or does he not douche, meaning to shower in some other countries? That is the question. Wow. My name is Damon. Say my name right, you San Francisco Giants bitch. 
Okay, I'll answer that in in the context he's meaning it. He's um, he's a dipshit Dodger fan, and he's really upset about the Houston Astros. So you can take it out on me. I get it. You're mad because the Giants have three World Series. You can call me whatever names you want. I just know that I'm a winner. I, I, I my team is winners. We win. But are you a douche? Championships. I don't even know what that is. All right. I don't know what a douche is. What's a douche? It's That's... a product for feminine hygiene. No. Don't it know is. what it is. Never used one. Don't yeah. know what it is. Anyways, next. All right. Next question from Sid Frankowski. Why do shitty bands get signed? Well, that's kind of subjective. I mean, you might think that it's shitty and somebody might think it's great. You know, it's all about... I, I don't know. The music industry is really weird, and, and and time periods dictate different things as well. So, um, kind of got to get in with who you know, really, in the music industry. That's that's pretty much what it is. So, unless you're some superstar, you know, that's just packing houses and touring your ass off, and somebody notices. That's yeah, one thing. Hard work's part of it, right? Yeah. But uh, a lot of it is also who you know, because I've seen some really good bands, you know, and I've seen some really horrible bands, and it's all about really just you know you got to network, you got to get your your name out there for sure. Next, all right. Next question is from Tom Kennedy. Why has Jeff hairline faded into six head instead of the normal forehead? Well, okay. First of all, I know people have a rough time believing this, but my hair is not receding. I have always had a big forehead. I had a big forehead in high school, and a lot of people gave me shit for it, saying Jeff's going to be the first one to go bald. And everybody that has said that is now bald. Every fucking one of them. All these guys from my high school that said I was going to be the first one to go bald are all bald, and I got a big old long fucking mess of hair. And I love my hair. I like my hair so much, I go get it dyed because I don't even want to fucking look old. It's amazing. I mean, I can't help being old, but having a, I don't want to have a bunch of fucking spiders having a meeting on my head with webs. I just love my hair. I have a big forehead, but that's because I have a big brain. Anyways, next... All right, next question from Greg Davis. Craziest thing you've ever seen at a show? Well, a show that I've been to, I one of them I covered during the Sean Killian episode interview. That was the last one we did when I was at a show in Tijuana at Iguanas watching Overkill Violence and Excel played. And there was people literally not just stage diving like crazy, jumping off the balcony into the people that were just standing there in the crowd. It was fucking nuts. I'd never seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And besides seeing Gore early on in their career, when they were fucking like scum dogs of the universe type era, those shows were fucking violent. I mean, that was the gnarliest shit I'd ever seen. Just not just the, you know, the stage, obviously all the blood and all that stuff going off. And it was awesome because they were totally uncensored back then. They just, they touched everything. They didn't care. Totally not PC. And I just remember seeing him at the Omni and there's just a myriad of fights. And as far as like psychosomatic and what I've seen on stage, I mean, I've seen countless brawls. I've seen shows where the whole place erupted into fights and it's just the kind of aggressive music you have has that. But I remember one particular show we played where it was kind of scary. Uh, we, we played at a show in Seaside, California, 
it's on video, but the, the thing that happened wasn't on the video. I put it on our YouTube account, and there was a girl that got knocked out right in the front row. And it was gnarly because the crowd was, it was a full speed slam pit and moshing, whatever you want to call it. And I just seen this girl get put up on the stage and the crowd was so raging. I didn't want to stop playing. So we finally stopped and we checked on her and she got up and she was okay. And then I got cussed out by somebody. You guys should have stopped the show. That girl got hurt. I'm like, fuck, man, we're fucking psychosomatic. I mean, what, what do you think's going to happen, dude? Like, it's yeah. fucking, it's always been a vi We have a reputation of having violent shows everywhere we go. You know, it's, we play thrash metal. It's like, of course, it's going to get violent. And I don't know where the security was. You know, I'm doing my job. I'm getting there. I'm playing a show. It's what we're getting paid to do. I'm last thing I'm going to worry about is the crowd. So I was kind of just, you know, wow, that sucks. But I, she turned out to be fine. You know, she got knocked unconscious. I think she bent down and got hit at like a board on the stage. And she came to. That's the last I heard of her and whatever else. But, you know, that's the thing with shows, man. With, uh, oh, I think another thing we did is we played a, a, a party. Uh, it was, it was like, a, like a show party, whatever. But it was, uh, it was in Illinois. And Dan Mills's, he had, we had full stacks. His whole stack got taken out. By, oh. by one of the guys in the crowd because they, they were just going nuts. They're they're oh. slamming, moshing, and his whole stack fell down. Oh. And it was during grand mal seizure, and it was right at the ring out, right before the leads. Right, so we're just ringing out, and me, Toby, and Vince are looking at him, and he's like struggling to get his shit back up. And we just sat there, and Toby had his kick drum going, you know, the the the, the just yeah. keep it going. And he managed to get his stack up. The whole fucking stack is still stack works. Up, and it still played. Oh, <laughs> shit. And we kept playing. And the crowd went fucking nuts. They're like, yeah! It was so fucking hilarious. That's not missing a beat right there. That's yeah. fucking. We just kept, dude, the show must go on. Yeah. <laughs> and Dad was like in a fucking panic. Yeah, right? dude. He looked like his this eyes is... were big. Like, <laughs> I was looking at him like, oh, my God, this sucks. Like, what are we going to do? And he just picked it up. And it was like kind of like he was just reacting. He wasn't really thinking, you know, and he just grabbed his guitar and he looked at me and I was like, let's go. And we just went right into the song. Like it, that's it was, fucking professionalism it was, right there. Dude. That's was, pressure. That's like, it, that's moving under pressure, man. It was funny. We talked about it for days afterwards. <laughs> we were cracking up. That's badass. That was in, I think it was in, I want to say 2014 or maybe 2013, but that was a crazy night. That was a wild night. And okay. That was good. Next. All right. Last one from Ty miles. Will the local music scene come back stronger or weaker after COVID-19? Fuck if I know. I don't have a crystal ball. But I'll tell you what, I think it would be a good time for local bands because they can book shit faster than a touring band. So, yeah, local bands got a good opportunity to just get something up and running as soon as possible, as soon as they lift uh, whatever quarantine you're on in your state and just jump on it. And, I mean, come on, dude. People are so sick of fucking stick you know sitting in their houses yeah, they're dude. gonna want to do something i think we'll see a resurgence to be honest on the local scene everywhere i think everywhere i think well, touring yeah. touring's gonna take a while because you're gonna yeah. have to like book your tour out because everything got shut down on touring levels but local bands hey joe i'm gonna book a show on this in a month from now cool let's do it boom it's that easy yeah so i think i think you're gonna see a, a big wave and people are so pent up and amped up to get the fuck out of their house. Yeah, big time. So I, I, I think it's a good opportunity for sure. I think it'll be great. So, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, a little bit. Shut Just, up. Fuck you. Um, 
you know, in a, any crappy little local band myself, take this opportunity to just get your fucking music going. Like, don't stop hanging with your band. Don't stop recording. Like, in the bitters, we're going to fucking, it's not going to be the best sounding demos in the world, but we're going to trade wave files back and forth to a click and put together demos, uh, you know, away from each other and just throw them out on fucking Spotify, you know? There's no reason not to keep your band moving forward. But yeah, when once local shows start happening again, I think it. I think there's going to be a bigger attendance. Check out the Big bitters time. from Sacramento. The bitters. I call them the biters, but they're the bitters. <laughs> Thank you. Who gave you that name, anyways? Uh, so we had a, another member in the band who's no longer in the band, and he and I were at a show with Sean Hills of Punch and Pie, promoter. Promoter. And I, it got mentioned, and Sean loved it so much, he told us we had to be the bitters. And it stuck. Well, it matches your personality for sure, bitter boy. I'm not as bitter as I used to be. Well, there's a little bit. You're, still a little bit in there. Yeah, we used to call you Eeyore. Eeyore. I was an Eeyore. I, was, I used to be 300 fucking pounds and crying all the time. You look great now. Yeah, not 300 pounds. How much weight have you lost? Overall, I mean, I'm definitely, right now I'm down 105. Because I'm 195. I've been to down all the way to 170. That's impressive. But due to a, like, a stressful situation last year, I ended up jumping back up to 225. And like I said, I've spent the entire year so far working it back down to 195. So you basically got rid of another person under your skin. Yeah, dude. That's it's, gnarly. Yeah. So, I mean, total, like the most weight I've ever lost at one point was 130 pounds. That's pretty impressive, dude. Yeah. I mean, you can't, that is, and that's, that's all some, just, that's some willpower. That's all just f- watching what I put in my body and working out five to seven days a week. There's no, like, if you're, if there's no other way. Well, I'm, I'm sure. Of surgery. I mean, you can get it sucked out of you. But I'm, I'm sure if you, like, changed your mental state, right? Had well. to. I mean, you, you have to. That's a, deep, that's a deep question right there because you have to really look at the point of why did you let yourself get to 300 pounds? I sure. wasn't always 300 right, pounds. Right, You know, that's the thing. And well, I met you. You were just a little kid playing Green Day with black fingernail polish. Yeah. And uh, that's he's still there. It's just uh, He just <laughs> doesn't put on the fingernail polish anymore because he's 38. And that's kind of fucking weird. Um Especially if you're not in a signed band uh, and going bald. Uh, all right, enough of that. <laughs> so, but you have to look at the mental state of yourself. Oh, you know what, dude? I'm so yeah. sorry. I know we had the question about baldness. I didn't even, you know, I, I didn't mean to. Oh, I've never talked shit about your head, so I know you're not talking about me. I, well, I, look, yeah, I'm my, sorry you're going bald. My my grandfather was bald. My right. dad's bald. I didn't and mean, yeah, it was the a... hair thinned out on my mom's side. I knew what the fuck I was in store for when well, I was well, a kid. I, I didn't want you to think that, like, yeah. I was. Taking digs at nah, you. Man, I was just defending good. myself for having a big forehead. Yo, if someone talks shit on your big forehead all your life, you you, you earned the right to take a shot back. Don't worry about it. But, but yeah, it wasn't at you. I know yeah. that you, yeah, you've been pretty successful with that too, right? You had some Rogaine. I, it worked for a while, and then finally I got tired of spending 50 bucks a month on it. I was like, fuck it. Right. Yeah, you know, it's did, just like, did what's... You, did you see the Homer episode from Simpsons when he <laughs> was using it, and then Bart put it on his face and had a goatee or yeah. wanted one? He wanted a goatee. <laughs> right. And he ended up dropping and spilling it, and then Homer yeah. had his hair on the ground and was like crying. But, uh, yeah, yeah, to finish my point, 300 pounds, you have to think about why you got there. You have to process that. Right, right. And then right. you got to fucking fight it. Sure. And then you got to get rid of what you allowed to happen right. when you were in that mental state. So that was the first part was quitting smoking and drinking all the time and then figuring out, oh, maybe I shouldn't have two Big Macs for lunch. Right. You know what I mean? Well, you look amazing, dude. Well, I appreciate Seriously. that. Thank you. You look great. 
All right. Well, that wraps up this show. And you can uh, find this show on Spotify, uh, Apple, Apple Music, Apple iTunes. Apple iTunes. Um, what else? Podbean. Go- Podbean, Google Play, I think. It's now finally up there. That's the one that's been lagging the whole entire time. Stitcher. Stitcher is another one of them. You know, any, anywhere you can really find a podcast. And if you have a medium that you normally use and we're not on it, just hit up the page, let yep. myself know, and let Jeff know, and I'll work at getting it up there. Absolutely. And we did warn you guys that we were going to have some delayed episodes. So we had a, a couple cancellations and um, some delays, but we, we got this one. We'll get this one out to you as soon as possible, and then we have another one coming right on schedule. So thank you all for your patience. Thanks for your support. Thank you all. Love you. Peace out. Peace out.